Raising godly children in an ungodly world. This is part two of our series on the family, the family itself, not just marriage, but the family itself. And I was reading this week, you know, it's interesting. We're living in a day and time. Years ago, we had a missionary family visit our church and their children. Well, they had one child at the time. The child was out of control. They were visiting with us at our home. And, and uh, I came to find out that you know, we talked and we talked about some different things, tried to encourage them in the area of child discipline and training. And, you know, we said, we well, have to deal with the sin nature in your child. And this missionary did not believe that children have a sin nature. And I was, I almost fell off my chair. And uh, I said, well, and then what is the wrong stuff and the selfish? Well, that's just childishness. Uh, listen, friend, that's not what God says, okay? Now, remember, when we started this series, one of the foundational truths is absolute faith in the Word of God. If you want your marriage, if you want your family, your kids to turn out right, you have to have absolute faith in the Word of God. In other words, therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. That's what the psalmist said, and that is the mindset that a Christian needs to have. All right? The Bible is not one source of truth and then there's other things equal with it. No, the Bible is God speaking. The one true God has spoken and he did it through a book. And this is what we need to know and we need to hold on to it. Now we fail, we fail in, in doing it, okay? But that doesn't mean it's not right. Don't ever put up with yourself or somebody else saying, well, I tried what the Bible said and it didn't work. Now, let me tell you something, friend. The problem's never God. It's always us. And you know what? All of us fail. All of us fail. And I know I mentioned that last week, and I'll continue to mention it, by the way. Well, I wanted to start with something very important today. Came over an article. It was called Property Laws of a Toddler. <laughs> Some of you know where this is going. By the way, this is evidence of the sin nature in your child. So I want you to listen carefully. Here they are, there's 10 of them. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And lastly, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> you don't have to observe for very long to know the truth of these things here. Let me tell you something. The sweetest kids can get awful nasty with one another. And yes, that includes yours, by the way. If you don't see it, you're willfully blind. Now, it's in quick review. And let me say today, we are not going to race through this stuff. These four pillars or building blocks that we talked about <laughs> briefly last week, I'm not racing through them. So some of these things may spill over into another week. It's all good. It's all important for us to know. But in quick review, number one, what is the biblical goal of parenting? In case you weren't here last week. Well, the biblical goal in parenting is for our children to grow up to not only be saved, but godly and dedicated believers who love and serve Christ. 
Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, anger, that's what wrath means, but bring them up, train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture means training. Actually, it's the same word as chastening. The idea is discipline, disciple. We are training our children up to be saved and to be followers of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, aren't all saved people followers? No, not all saved people follow the Lord. Salvation's a gift. You trust Christ the Savior, he saves you from hell to heaven for all eternity. Whether you succeed or fail in the way you live your life, and with every person, by the way, it's a mix. Whether you succeed or fail in the way you live your life has no bearing on your eternal destiny if you've trusted Christ the Savior. You are safe and secure as we are going to see. Now, Christians, obviously, we should live a godly life, but it's a thank you to God for what he's done, and it's also common sense to know that we want God's blessings in our lives and not the problems that come with a life of sin. Now, while we cannot make our children trust Christ and then grow up to serve him, we as parents must do all we can in a balanced and biblical way to help them do that. Trusting Christ is a personal decision, as well as a saved person deciding he is going to live his life for Christ. You can't make them. You can't make them. But the influence and the input of the parents cannot be overemphasized when it comes to the lives of your children. Remember, God entrusted those children to your care to do it right. And he's going to hold you responsible with how you do that, okay? Hold your place here and look at with me over to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, we see a heavenly scene here. It's after the rapture of the church has taken place, and we see believers and angelic beings gathered around the throne of God in heaven, and they're praising God, and they're singing to God, and it's wonderful what is going on. But it says in Revelation 4.11, thou art worthy, and by the way, that's the song. And uh, Revelation 4.11, when we sing the song, Thou Art Worthy, it is actually a song that we sing now that will be sung then. Think about that. You know, we don't know. We know we're going to be singing and praising God for all eternity, but we don't know a lot of what we're going to be singing. Is it the hymns of the great hymns of the faith? Is it this or is it that? Or is it special new music that we're all going to know and are able to sing. By the way, your voice will be awesome in heaven, okay? But this is one that we will be singing because here it is. Here's a picture of the future. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. That includes you. That includes me. And now watch. And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. This gives you life purpose. You might say, why am I here? You've been created to bring glory to God. Begins with salvation. Trust Christ as your Savior. And then once you're saved, we ought to, as believers, as children of God, we ought to live a life that is pleasing to God, bringing focus and attention to Him, okay? To making Him big in other people's eyes. And that's kind of the idea of, of the Greek word doxa, uh, glorify. 
So this is uh, number one, what is the goal, a biblical goal of parenting? We've seen that. Number two, we are entrusted with them to train them in a biblical way so that they will bring glory to God. That should be what we're trying to accomplish. Listen, folks, the goal is not just that kids grow up and are moral. You can be moral and die and be lost forever in hell. We want them saved. Now, again, you can't make them believe, okay? But we want them saved and we want them to be godly. And so that is, that is what we're shooting for, okay? Now, there are four great principles or practices for, I believe, successful parenting. And I, I bring it down to this. Four great principles or practices for successful parenting. Number one, unconditional love. Number two, firm, consistent discipline. Number three, godly biblical instruction. And number four, godly parental example. We touched on them last week. We're going to start breaking them down specifically this week, okay? These, though, must be done in balance. Balance. It's like four legs on a table, all right? If one of those legs is shorter than the other, you've got a lot of instability and you've got a lot of irritation with that. But when those legs are all full length, stable, solid, it brings stability to the surface, okay? And that brings peace. When you have a stable table, it's peaceful, isn't it? If you don't have a stable table, you've got drinks, drinks flying all over the place and things sliding off and all this kind of stuff. And you don't want to sit at that table. And can I tell you, dear friends, when children are living in rebellion, no one wants to be around them, including themselves. But they don't know it. You know children who are out of control don't know why they're out of control? They don't know why. They're frustrated, but they don't know why they're frustrated. Well, that's where parenting comes in. It's our job to get them to where they have peace in their lives. So again, it must be done in balance. If any leg is lacking, it will produce instability in a child, okay? So let's move on. Number one is the first one is this. And by the way, let me say it today, Every one of these, you need to hear every one of these, so keep coming out, okay? Any one of these does not stand on its own. All four are necessary. If you had a table with one leg, it's not going to work. Two legs, not going to work. Three legs, it's not going to work. It takes four legs. Number one, unconditional love. Now let me define it, because there's some strange definitions for this today. Unconditional love. Love is seeking the highest good for another person. This is loving your children no matter what they do. Okay? Now listen, this does not mean loving or approving of whatever they do. There's a difference. We love them no matter what, but it doesn't necessarily mean we approve of everything they do. It doesn't mean we excuse everything they do. No, these things have to be dealt with. This is an issue of training and discipleship. What do I mean by love? Well, love is also doing what is best for them at all times. That's love. Doing what is best for your child at all times. That doesn't always mean giving them what they want, but giving them what they need. Sometimes it isn't what they want that is what they need. As a matter of fact, Many times with children, what they want isn't what they need. They need something else. Now, that doesn't mean we're stingy ogres with them. But what it means is we are mature. We're not children dealing with children. 
We're adults dealing with children. We look and we honestly look at the situation and we deal with the child in their best interest. What can I do to help them be the best they can be? That's love. Not thinking about ourselves, thinking about them. Love is doing what is best for them at all times, even when it is not convenient for you, okay? This is shown by many ways, including tough love when necessary. Let me say this also, love is not primarily a feeling. Now this one goes counterculture, doesn't it? Love is not primarily a feeling, but an attitude and mindset that is manifested through action. So if I love my children, it's not so much a feeling. If I love my children, a better way to put it is, am I loving my children? It's action, okay? It's how I'm dealing with them, how I'm working with them, how I'm impacting their lives. Do I love them or not? Again, it's not primarily a feeling, but an attitude and mindset that is manifested through action. It is being willing to sacrifice, if need be, our very lives for another. That's love. In reality, all biblical child training is love in action. Can I say this? This issue of unconditional love, all three other factors we're going to look at are manifestations of unconditional love into the life of a child. If you want to see real love, all you got to do is look at God and what the Bible says about him and look at the Lord's attitude towards us. He is our model. Now, let me say this. This is especially important for those of us who did not grow up in a truly Christian home. And by the way, that's a lot of us. Now, I had good parents and they were moral people, but was it a truly Christian home? No, it was not. There were some Christian principles there, and I thank God for my mom and dad, but it was not a truly Christian home where the word of God was taught and we were led to the Lord and all of that. That wasn't there. It wasn't there. Bible was not read. The Bible was not talked about that much. Did some with my mom, but listen, if you did not grow up in a truly Christian home and you're saying, well, but God wants me to raise my kids in a biblical way, what does that look like? Okay, look at the father. Look at the father. You cannot go wrong with looking at the way God deals with his children. Look with me over to Romans chapter eight. Remember, we are talking about unconditional love. Now, I know some people today, fundamentalists in particular, and by the way, I consider myself one. I don't even like the term evangelical anymore. It means everything in the kitchen sink, as long as you claim to believe the Bible, okay? You might say, well, isn't a fundamentalist a terrorist? <laughs> no, not necessarily, okay? And especially in the Christian realm, especially in the Christian realm, fundamentalists are not terrorists. Fundamentalists are people who believe, as I've already quoted it, therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. You believe the Bible is the word of God, you believe what it says, you interpret it in context and you believe what it says and you live your life according to that. That is fundamental Christianity. And that is the way it's supposed to be, okay? People say, I don't believe in fundamentalism. Well, do you believe in fundamentalism when it comes to math? Well, it depends. No, it doesn't depend. <laughs> two plus two is always gonna be four. That's a fundamental truth, okay? So the word of God is true. That's a fundamental truth. And that's what we go by. Now, in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul is writing to the church 
of believers at Rome, not the Roman Catholic Church now, the early church, okay, the church of believers, those who had trusted Jesus Christ and him alone as their savior. And he's writing to them and he's talking to them about the constant that is in their life and it's called the love of God. And in the love of God comes eternal security. Yes, folks, the Bible teaches that once you're saved, you're saved forever. That's not Baptist doctrine, that's Bible doctrine, okay? And it says in Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Of course, the answer to that is none of those things. Jump down to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. That includes you and that includes me. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I had a stamp right now, you know what I could put right over that verse? I could stamp it with a stamp that said unconditional. Unconditional. God loves me when I behave myself and when I don't behave myself as a child of God. God loves me me. It doesn't mean he's happy with everything I do, but God loves me. Parents, we should be able to say to those children of ours, yes, even when we are frustrated with them, I love you and mean it. Now, if you love them, you do what you need to, but you love them. That's why you're doing what you need to. Do we get that? That's why God deals with us this way. This is so important, this concept to catch it. Jeremiah 31.3. Now I know, Jeremiah, please don't anybody write or come up to me and say, well, pastor, don't you know? It's not talking about us individually. It's talking about the nation of Israel. Yeah, I get that. I understand the context. I understand the context of Jeremiah 31. Yes, talking to Israel, but Israel is a nation and Israel is made up of people. And this principle is a true one. Not just because of what it says, but because it's backed up by the truth of Scripture, which we've already seen in Romans. Jeremiah 31.3. Don't you love it? Look at it. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee. Look at this. With an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Friend, do you understand that God loves you with an everlasting love? Doesn't mean he loves everything we do, but he loves us with an everlasting love. And if you are a child of God, there's a special love for you and me because we're his children. We're not just his creation, we're his children. And he loves us with an everlasting love. And folks, let me tell you something. When we hurt, he hurts, okay? When we are troubled, he's concerned with that. When we have a need, he wants to meet that need. Love acts in the other person's best interest. And guess what? John 3.16 is a picture, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, we are sinners. We deserve to be lost forever in hell. Our sin separates us from God, but the Bible tells us that God does not want us to end up in hell. Therefore, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Okay, if this was you and me and this wallet represents our sin, we have sin on us. Heaven's a perfect place. You have to be perfect to get there. None of us are. Therefore, we're disqualified. 
Therefore, no matter how many good works you do, it'll never take away sin. We're already broken. We need a savior, not a helper. And if we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever. But God loves us so much, he sent his son, actually God in the flesh, God who took on flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. He made the payment so we don't have to. He shed his blood on our behalf. He died, was buried, and he came back from the dead. And he says in his word, if we will believe, trust in him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, go to hell, but have everlasting life, go to heaven. When do you have everlasting life? The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. God has loved us with an everlasting love and love moves to action. And that is what God has done for us. Romans chapter five, verse eight, it says, but God commendeth or displayed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's not a conditional love. That's an unconditional love. The most rebellious, the most Christ-denying, the most God-hating people who have ever lived in this world, God displayed his love towards them. And that while they were yet sinners, Jesus died for them. You might say, well, then everybody's going to heaven, right? No, no. The payment is only good on your behalf when you trust in Christ as your Savior. Then that transaction has taken place on your behalf. And he gives you everlasting life. So you need to trust him as your Savior if you haven't done that. Now, this him displaying or commending his love towards us while we are yet sinners, there's nothing conditional in that. That's an act of grace. Because the truth of it is, the vast majority of mankind will reject the payment Jesus made. And will many of them mock the payment Jesus made. And mock Jesus himself. Doesn't change the fact that God loves them no matter what. And by the way, those same Christ-haters, God-deniers, who spit in his face, who mock him and all that, listen carefully, dear friend. This is the love of God, the unconditional love of God. If that person will understand their condition that they are lost and on their deathbed put their trust in Jesus Christ to save them, he will save them. Think about that. Think about that. That's unconditional love. That isn't, well, you know what? You had your chance, but go to hell because you were nasty towards me. No, that would be conditional, unconditional, unconditional. Now, moving on, this issue of unconditional love. You see, love acts in the other person's best interest. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 13. And as we turn to Proverbs 13, uh, let me say something that might surprise you. You may already know this, but then again, you may not. Speaking of love, more is said in the Bible about showing your love for your children by disciplining them than by any other way of showing love. Did you know that? Think about that. When it comes to the parent relationship with the child, showing your love for your child, nothing does that more in Scripture than disciplining them properly. Properly now. We're not talking about child abuse. We are against child abuse. Proverbs 13, verse 24, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Wow. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That's an old word that means early. Now, what does that mean, early? Well, it could be early in life, in other words, when they're little, or it could be early in the rebellion of that, what's going on. In other words, if little Beth goes and she punches her little brother Andy, couldn't resist, 
in the stomach, okay? Mommy or daddy doesn't say, now you know what? I'll give you three more tries and then I'm gonna have to discipline you, <laughs> okay? No, you chasing them early in the offense, okay? One time is enough to move into action on that. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. You might say, well, I don't know about that. Well, God says it. Turn with me to chapter three in verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. You see, folks, this issue of love, listen carefully, from a child's perspective, being loved is the knowledge and the feeling that they are accepted and cared about. Let me say it again. From a child's perspective, they can't tell you this. This is an adult concept. But from a child's perspective, being loved is the knowledge and feeling that they are accepted and that they are cared about. Okay? We can say that we love them, but if they do not sense it or know it, it is not enough. I say, well, I, I say to my kids, you know, I'm going out the door in the morning. I say, hey, love you. Okay? But let me ask you this. Do they know that you really do? Do they know that inside? See, this is a matter of them being stable and confident as a human being. Let me give you five key ways to communicate love to your children. Five key ways to communicate love to your children. And I don't think we're going to get through all of these today, so we'll pick up on it next week. The first one is this, discipline. Now, I know some are going to balk at this, but you've got to decide. Do we as people have the right to accept some things God says and reject others? No. Accept it all. Believe it. Discipline. According to the Bible, love does not contradict discipline. Love demands discipline. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives, as we will see in just a minute. Seeing it from a biblical perspective, it is not what you do to a child, it's what you do for a child. If you discipline your children when you are mad, that's why you discipline them, because they've made you mad, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. All of a sudden, they do it again. You go ballistic, you explode. And then in a rage, you start after your child. Wait a minute, you're not doing it right. That's gonna lead to child abuse. It's not how you do it, not how you do it. We'll talk more about the details in the future. It's not what you do to a child, it's what you do for a child. Hebrews 12, 6 again, for whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and scourges. That word scourge means to whip, to whip. I say, oh, I think spanking is child abuse. Well, you're wrong. If you do it right, it's not child abuse. You can do it wrong and abuse a child, but if you do it right, it's not child abuse well, I, I still don't believe it, then you don't believe God because the Bible teaches it. You don't believe God. Discipline. Secondly, physical contact and affection. Physical contact and affection. Give your children affection, okay? Now, ladies, I don't think you're necessarily going to have as much problem with this as men are going to have a problem with this, but this is for all of us. Give your child or your children affection. When we do, we communicate love to them. Now I know there are people, well, I wasn't raised that way. So what? So what? 
Does that mean you shouldn't do it? Because you weren't raised that way? I wasn't raised that way. But this is necessary to the well-being of your child. It is biblical and therefore we need to do it. See, here's the question. Do we care more about our comfort level or more about the well-being of our children? You can learn to show affection and love to your children. You can learn that. Even, even if you listen, I had to learn it. I had to learn it. But I'll tell you what, once you, once you understand the importance in the life of your children, nothing was going to stop you from doing it. Physical contact and affection. Now, obviously, when I talk about physical contact, I'm not talking about perversion here, bad touch. We're talking about good touch. Hugs and kisses that are appropriate. A sincere hug communicates acceptance and security to a child. A sincere hug communicates acceptance and security to a child. Let me show you a couple verses. We're going to look at both of these passages in more detail in the future, but let's look at it. Mark chapter 10. Would you turn there with me? Mark chapter 10. Was Jesus a man or a woman? Thank you. Clear that up with some people, right? Mark chapter 10. People are surprised to see this in the Bible. Mark 10 verse 13, and they brought young children to him. Keep reading. That he should do what? Touch them. By the way, children love Jesus. You know why? Because he loved them. They brought young children to Jesus or to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. They didn't get it. All right? We see the importance of it. And we'll talk more in detail about this because the passage there in Mark 10, it's even more emphatic about this issue. Look with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 deals with the, uh, the record of the prodigal son. And you know the story. The son, he was carnal. He wanted his inheritance. Dad gave it to him. He went away into the far country. Wrecked his life. Wrecked it. It was a disaster. And he says, you know what? This, I'm being stupid. It says he came to himself. A lot of Christians need to come to themselves. And he says, I'm going back. And then he starts scheming in his mind of how he's going to try to get acceptance from his dad when he comes back. Now here's a rebel adult son who's caused grief. And for how long it was, we don't know all the details of that. But it says in Luke 15, 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And look at this, and ran. Didn't just stand there. He ran towards his son he fell on his neck and he kissed him. What is that? It's showing affection. It's a hug. It's a kiss. Okay? Again, appropriate stuff. See, again, men are the ones who usually fail the most at this. We've been taught that it isn't masculine. Men, can I tell you? Hug your children. Love your children, your sons and your daughters. Okay? Do we not see it in the Bible? We see it in the Bible. Men, if your daughters don't get acceptance and love from you, there's a good chance that they are going to try to find it in another man. It is a need that they have as a human being. Okay? It's very important. Now, let me just say this, and I'm not, I'm not going to make a blanket statement on this, but I am going to share my experience with you. I have counseled with homosexuals. 
men, okay? I'm not saying this is the case in every case, but the ones I have counseled, all of them were rejected by their father when they were little. All of them were rejected. You might say, well, I don't think that's, you know, manly. I think just a high five or fist bump is the way. I I don't like the idea. It it creeps me out. Uh, You need to have a change of mind, friend. Your, Your sons need to know how much you love them. They need to know that you do anything for them. Hug your children, okay? Appropriate, appropriate ways. This is important. It's scriptural. It's scriptural. One author wrote this. This is a true account. He says, I read of a father who was sitting in his living room one day. It was his 50th birthday and he happened to be in an irritable mood. I can understand that. (laughs) It's a long time ago for me, anyway. Uh, Suddenly, his 11-year-old boy, Rick, bounced into the room, sat on his father's lap and began kissing him repeatedly on the cheeks. The boy continued his kissing until his father sharply asked, what are you doing? The child answered, I'm giving you 50 kisses on your 50th birthday. Ordinarily, the father would have been touched by this loving act of affection. Unfortunately, because he was depressed and irritable, he pushed the boy away and stated, let's do that some other time. The boy was crushed. He ran out of the house, jumped on his bike and rode away. A few minutes later, the child was struck and killed by a car. You can imagine the grief, the remorse, and the guilt suffered by this poor dad, okay? Now listen, any of us could do it, but none of us should do it, okay? Affection is so important. I love it when I see a dad with his boys giving them hugs and with his daughters, by the way. I I hug our daughter. They're all adult married now. I hug them. When we see them, they come up to me. They want a hug. They come up to dad. They want a hug, okay? And I'm always there to do that. When you show affection to your children, it confirms your love for them and gives them a sense of security. Years ago, I think it was Kim. It was either Michelle or Kim. It wasn't Laura. Laura, you weren't in the picture yet when this happened. Laura's our third, our youngest. And years ago, I can remember, I think it was Kim. This is when we lived in St. Joe. I can remember... One evening, I had, to, I had to really discipline her, okay? She was about probably between two and three years old. I had to really discipline her. Now, I did, and, and there's a way to do it that's appropriate, okay? You talk to your child. Let me say it just quickly so no one goes away with the wrong idea. You talk to your child. I'll, I'll say more about it in detail in the future. You talk to your child why you're going to discipline them. Then you discipline them, okay? You do it in a way to where you sense what you've done is you brought them into submission. You've broken their will. There's a repentance, a change of attitude in your child. That's, that's where you want to get them to. You stop immediately, okay? Then you take that child and you get them in your arms and you love them and you hug them and you tell them how much you love them and you reiterate, this, I, I had to do this because that's what God says. You rebel and I'm, you know, and and. Uh, Pray with them, have them pray, have them pray to the Lord, confess their sin, be good for them to say they're sorry to you as well as a parent. And then folks, it's over. Don't ever bring it up again. It's over, okay? Now, if you discipline them, get them under control, and then you love them, gives them the security, everything's connecting in them. Emotionally, spiritually, everything's connecting, okay? You might say, I don't get it. I I don't believe you can spank a child here and it changes them. 
Listen, you do it right, and it does. This is the way God made it. I just believe the book. I believe the book. That was in the evening. One night it was in the evening. The next morning, probably was a Saturday morning, I guess, we were in bed just laying there, and we heard, I think, again, I think it was Kim, and Sue went and got her, brought her in, okay, laid her in the bed, and she crawled up onto my chest and put her head down. I'll never forget it. It didn't hurt her. It helped her. And it formed a bond between her dad and her. That, folks, is strong to this day. Listen, we're very proud in a good way of our girls. Very proud of them. All three of them are saved. All three of them are living for Christ. And they didn't have to do this, but all three of them are married to pastors. They didn't have to do it. It wasn't a requirement, but it's a blessing. What a blessing that is. But you see what it did? See, when you do it the right way, it bonds you. It doesn't drive you away. It bonds you with your children. And it's a good, wonderful thing. And it helps them as people, okay? Obviously, we, we didn't get done with this today. We only covered, what, two of the ways to show love. We're going to talk more about it next week, but let me close with this. Let me close with this. You've heard this today. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe you you could just, you may be in shock for what you've heard. You've never heard this before. The main thing I want you to get more than anything else, friend, is God loves you. He sent a son to die for you, and he did. He's paid for all of your sins, so you can go to heaven. All he's asking you to do is to put your trust in him as your savior. If you will trust in him as your savior, he will save you forever. He gives you everlasting life. All your sins are washed away. You're born into the family of God. You become a child of God. God becomes your spiritual father. That's the best thing that could ever happen to a person. So would you trust Christ as your savior if you've never done it? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.